There is no one greater. There is no one higher than the Lord our God. It's refreshing to the soul to praise His name. It is refreshing to the soul to praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. We're thankful that you've come out tonight on this Sunday night to worship the Lord. I'm so grateful to have some good folks here. God bless Sister Natalie McLeod. Let's give her a great big hand. Sister Natalie, Sister Natalie goes back so far with me all the way back to the Kokomo days. Amen. We love Sister Natalie McLeod so very much and all the good folks that have come with her from Columbus, Ohio. God bless them in the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And it's been so good to have the Van Slyke family with us today. God bless them. Let's give them another big hand. We love and appreciate this wonderful family. God bless them. I'm so thankful for everyone who is here tonight. I believe that the Lord has a special word for you. And we're going to look into the word of the Lord this evening. I want to, I want to just turn your attention to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, I know that God, God can do things when we <clears throat> might be out of our schedule for him to do it. We may not have pinned him into our calendar to do something but he is waiting and ready for us to receive what he would do in our lives and I believe he wants to do something beautiful tonight first Peter chapter 2 we're going to begin reading at the fifth verse first Peter chapter 2 and the fifth verse you also as lively stones you are lively stones and you are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Where also, wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now, but now have obtained mercy. I want to preach for just a few moments this evening on that subject that Peter identified the believers as being the chosen generation. The chosen generation. Why don't you look at your neighbor nearby and tell them you are a chosen generation. Glory to God. Let's lift our voices in prayer for his word to have free course. Let's do it right now. Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, we have gathered together under the 
under the sound of your voice, Lord, so that we may hear your word, so that your word may strengthen us, feed us, edify us, empower and embolden us, enlighten and instruct us. I pray in the name of the Lord that your word would do just that and have power with us, God. Have authority with us. Lord God, have influence with every decision that we make. Be Lord of our life. Through your holy word we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. And amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. These words brought to us by the Apostle Peter, of course applicable to us, written originally to the Jewish people, but we understand that we have been grafted into that great lineage of Abraham. And we walk in the blessing of Abraham. And we walk in the covenant of faith. And we are no longer strangers to the covenant of faith. But we enjoy and embrace the great blessing of the Lord that came upon Abraham. So it is encouraging to read the word of the Lord that tells us that we are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. Now, we have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that in order for us to ever become a royal priesthood, we have to embrace the truth that we are a chosen generation. In order for us to become that holy nation, we have to embrace the truth that we are a chosen generation. In order for us to ever feel or be comfortable in the knowledge that we are a peculiar people. Because we are a peculiar people. Now, come on, let's just be honest. We are a peculiar people. We have peculiarities. And you don't, you don't know it so much when we're with one another. It's when we go out into the world and, and we're holding the door for somebody at a grocery store because they were coming up as we were going out. And, and as I walk by, you say, praise the Lord. You realize you're peculiar. The look they give you lets you, gives you, lets you know, hey, you're, you're a little peculiar. That's all right. We're peculiar for a reason. Peculiar things have happened in our lives. Peculiar experiences have taken place and it wasn't until we really readily embraced the fact that we have been chosen in this generation. Now, the generation, the Bible speaks so often of generations. One place in the book of Judges, it says of a generation, and this is probably the most frightening reference to a generation in the scriptures. It says that there arose a generation that knew not God. What a tragedy that any generation would emerge in this world and not know God. The creator of this world. The God of all creation. And yet there arises a generation that does not know him. What a tragedy. But he goes on in the book of Judges and says, There arose a generation that knew not God, nor the works which he had done for the children of Israel. What an even greater tragedy that 
that not only do they not know the Lord, but they have not even heard the stories of his mighty power. What a responsibility is upon each of us that we would tell the stories of his mighty power. Don't forget to tell the story of how he brought you out. Don't forget to tell the story of how he healed your body. Don't forget to tell the story of how when you couldn't get well, he healed you. Don't forget to tell the story when you were afraid, he brought you peace in the midst of your storm. Because somebody needs to know the story. Another generation, a new generation needs to rise up hearing and understanding that God is great and he is greatly to be praised. That he is the Lord of lords and that he is the King of kings. There is a generation coming up after us that needs to understand that there's power in the blood of the Lamb. And they may not completely understand what that means, but oh, they will. And it's important that we put it deep into their hearts that when you face the challenging times of life, seek the face of God. Lift up your eyes unto the hills from whence cometh your help. Your help cometh from the Lord. Your help doesn't come from any other source. Your help comes from the Lord. So look to the Lord. Seek the face of God. Turn from your wicked ways. Give your heart to Him. Pour your heart out unto Him. And a generation will know Him. Proverbs chapter 30 describes a generation in verse number 11. Of Proverbs 30, there is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as Knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. This is a generation that the writer was warning us about that is, that is coming upon the scene. The Bible tells us also in the word of the Lord. In chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats which God had created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. He goes on to say in the second Epistle to Timothy and the fourth chapter. The same writer, he said to him that he is to preach the word, to be instant in season, out of season. He is to reprove and rebuke and exalt, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. This know also that in the last days 
perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And I know that it's easy to read those words. And think in terms of this speaking and referencing people outside of this place, out in the world. But I wonder if we were real honest, how many of us can find ourselves in that passage? I know it's talking about a lost world, which is, makes it even a little more frightening. How many of us can find ourselves in a passage that talks about folks that are unthankful, unholy? How many truces have we broken? Truces that said no more war. Truces that said I'm going to choose to forgive. How many times can we look at this passage of scripture and see ourselves in it? Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And yet we, we so many times just cast it off as though it is speaking of someone other than ourselves. Let the word of God minister to you. Let the word of God speak directly to you. Don't just take it and say this must be for somebody besides me. Let it speak to you. Let it get up in your face and tell you who you are and who you're not and who you need to be. Oh, hallelujah. But my Bible tells me that we are designed by God to be a chosen generation. A chosen generation. Now, Jesus spoke about this matter of being chosen. And he made a distinction I think is, is important. Something that we should talk about. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. I had a great-grandmother, Sister uh, Lovinger from Calvary Tabernacle, Indianapolis, Indiana. And she was a, a long-time saint of God. Her mother was a prayer warrior. And uh, who had been a part of the church since its very founding. And she, I, I, I have memories of her. She passed away when I was 14 years old. I have memories of her. Uh, and the most vivid of memories that I have of my great-grandmother, Lovinger, was that every time I was with her, she would prophesy over me. Every time. It didn't matter what holiday it was. She would just pull me close to her and she would say, many are called, but few are chosen. And you are one of the chosen. She told me that all my life until finally I started believing it. That's the power of prophecy, ladies and gentlemen. If I, I, didn't, I don't know if I was chosen before she started saying that. But by the time she got done saying it, I believed it and it was done. Many are called, but few are chosen, and you, Joel, are one of the chosen ones. You have to believe, ladies and gentlemen, that God has called you and that God has chosen you. Many are called, but few are chosen. Now, now we have to understand what that means. It doesn't mean that God says, I'm going to call many, but I'm only going to choose a few. What it means is that this calling of God is so significant. It's not just some fanciful little emotional ride you go on. The call of God is a serious thing. 
And when God calls you to do his service, you go into something that nothing else in this world could prepare you for. This call of God is not a game. This call of God is not something to play around with. And you, if you're here tonight, are here because God called you here. You're not here because somebody invited you. You're not here because you chose randomly to attend some other thing on a Sunday night. You're here in this place worshiping God because you feel the call of God on your life to do his bidding and to do his service. You sense the Holy Ghost pulling on your heart, telling you, I have purpose for you. I have a design for you. You are called of the Lord. That's what Peter was saying when he said, we are to show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know as well as I know that you, there was a point in your life where you had no desire to worship God. There was a point in your life where you had no desire to serve the Lord. Oh, you wanted the pain to stop. Yes, you wanted the, the torment to cease. You wanted the enemy to, res, to cease and desist. But there was no desire in your heart to serve the Lord. But the call of God pierced through the darkness that surrounded you. The call of God went down into that back alley where you were suffering. The call of God came through your fear. The call of God pierced through the, 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 the intimidation that the enemy had placed on your life. And before you knew it, you were standing there hearing very clearly the voice of God telling you, I want you for myself. I've called you out of this position. I am pulling you out of the place where you are. And I'm going to stand you up holy and righteous and godly and redeemed and blood washed. I'm going to make of you something that nothing else could make you. I'm talking about the call of God. Abram got that call. Leave your father's house. Leave your father's country. Leave your father's kindred. You got that call. That's the call you got. Leave your father's house. Leave your father's country. Leave your father's kindred. You know how many people are sitting right now in this building and hearing this message who have left all to serve the Lord? Do you know how many people had to walk away from friends, walk away from family in order to serve the Lord? God called us out of darkness. If you're looking at the world thinking that somehow they're experiencing something you wish you could have, something you wish you could enjoy, let me just tell you, you're not missing out on the world. You've been called out of the world by a gracious God who has better things in store for you. You think you're missing out on worldly pleasure. You're not missing out on worldly pleasure. You're missing out on worldly sorrow. The pain and sorrow of this world is unbearable. And God has called you in the middle of a generation. A generation that has teeth like swords. A generation who has jaw teeth like knives. The Bible says their feet are swift to shed blood. The Bible says their throat is as an open sepulcher. The Bible talks about destruction and misery are in their ways. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the generation that you're living in right now. 
a generation that says, I don't care how God made me. I will be what I want to be. Even if it means changing my gender, it is a defiance against the natural order of God. That's the generation that you're living in right now. You're living in a generation that has turned its back so defiantly on God to worship other gods, to worship idols, to worship unclean spirits, to to commit suicide in the name of an unclean spirit. That's the generation that you're living in, ladies and gentlemen. This is a generation that is in defiance of God. And yet in the middle of it all, you are a chosen generation in the middle of it all you are a holy nation in the middle of it all you are a royal priesthood in the middle of it all God has set apart somebody some people for his glory's sake for his name's sake hallelujah and you're not gonna you listen you're not gonna do the work of God by being lazy or complacent about his calling God doesn't need anybody else sitting back, taking it easy concerning his calling. Many are called, but few are chosen. To be chosen of God, you're going to go through some fiery trials. To be chosen of God, you're going to go through some very difficult times. Hallelujah. I want to know, I want to see a show of hands. How many people have been living for God for five years? Come on, that's it. God bless you. How many have been living for God for 10 years? How many have been living for God for 20 years? 30 years. I'm going to stop soon, I promise. Don't worry. 40 years. 50 years. Hallelujah. 60 years. Glory to God. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. When you see somebody lift up their hand and said, he kept me through decade one, he kept me through decade two, he kept me through decade three, and I'm praising his name, and I'm living for him, and I'm serving him. These aren't perfect people. These aren't folks who have had everything right all the time, but these are people who said, he who has called me, he who has called me is able to perform that very thing he called me to do and I'm going to persevere and I'm going to press on until I am chosen by God. Hallelujah. The chosen are the ones who absolutely stay in the fight. He will strip you down of everything that should not be there. We have so much worldly junk on us. So much worldly doubt on us. So much worldly carnality, so much worldly thinking and philosophies. They get into they get into the church. They get into our minds. They get into the way we treat people. They get into the way we think about God. We start treating God like he's just one of the guys. In fact, the Bible has to like stop every now and then and say that God is not a man that he should lie. It has to like remind us that men are liars, but God is true. Somewhere, somehow, we start thinking of God on terms that have nothing to do with God and in ways that are far from God. And when you go through the fiery trials of being called of God, it will strip you down until you see him as he is. Hallelujah. That's really what the fiery trial is for. The fiery trial is to bring transparency. When you look at the Bible, the Bible teaches us that he 
The Bible says he, that, that Job, for instance, said, When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold, tried in the fire. The refining powers of fire make the gold transparent. It, it strips the gold of its impurities until the gold will eventually, in the most ideal of states, become transparent. The gold we have on this earth will never understand that. We'll never experience that. It, it has a color to it. But when we're talking about the purest of the pure gold, it is a transparency. In fact, that's what the Bible says. The Bible, when it describes heaven, every one of the jewels that are, that are described in heaven are described as being clear as crystal, transparent. The streets are transparent. The walls are transparent. The gates are transparent. Everywhere you look, the river of life, that beautiful river of life, it don't look like the Ohio River. It is transparent. You can see right through it. Everywhere you look in heaven is pure transparency. That's because everywhere you look, you're going to be able to see the Lord. You're going to be able to see the Lamb. There's not going to be any blockade. The Lamb is the light of that city. And when I go through the fiery trial, that's what's happening to me. It is stripping down all the junk that I've allowed to get onto my life. And it pulls it off and strips it off and tears it off. Until finally, when you're looking at me eventually, you won't see any of Joel. And you'll just see Jesus. You'll only see the Lamb of God. You'll only see the Lord of glory. You'll only see that beautiful light. This happens to those who are chosen. That's why Jesus, when he called his disciples, here's what you got to know about him calling his disciples. We think that these 12 guys were somehow this group of 12 elite soldiers that Jesus looked to and found. No, sir, no, ma'am. These folks, these folks had no qualities that Jesus really needed in his followers. He chose a betrayer. He chose a denier. He chose a doubter. Jesus did not choose his disciples based on what he saw in them. He chose his disciples based on what he knew he could do for them. When God called you, he wasn't calling you because of what you could bring to the table. He was calling you because of what you could bring to the altar. And if you lay it all down on the altar, then he can use you for his glory. If you lay it on, hey, listen, you lay everything down. You lay everything down. You don't just bring him your praise, but you bring him your pain. And you don't just bring him the stuff that you know he doesn't want in your life. You bring him the stuff you're really proud of, too. Bring him all your gifts, all your qualities, all the stuff that's on your resume. Bring it all to the foot of the cross and say, God, I'm responding to your calling. I'm accepting your call in my life, and I'm, I'm going to let you choose me. I'm going to let you choose me. See, those he chooses... Those he chooses are those who are availing themselves to the most turbulent of circumstances. The Bible refers to the Apostle Paul as a chosen vessel. A chosen vessel. Now, I, it, it kind of cracks me up sometimes. 
Mary, the mother of Jesus, before she was, before she was actually, uh, before she was actually had given birth to him, the angel of the Lord came to her and said, "Mary, you are blessed and highly favored among women." Now that's quite a compliment. Blessed and highly favored among women. I mean, wow! Thank you, thank you very much. But what's going to be required of someone who's blessed and highly favored? You better be ready for that. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you that's where God wants us to be. Is somebody who says, you can have my reputation. You ready to give your reputation away? You ready to give your reputation away for the glory of God? This is what happened in the Word of God. The Apostle Paul had an immaculate reputation as Saul. An immaculate reputation. But when it came time to do the glory of God and to do the work of the Lord, the Apostle Paul wasn't going to be able to keep that immaculate reputation. All who had praised him were going to persecute him. All who said that he understood that Old Testament better than anybody they had ever known before were going to reverse course and call him an heretic. But he would say, after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. Are you ready to give away your reputation? Oh, I know we worship Jesus in this house. But Jesus made of himself no reputation. This is why when he would heal people, very often he would say to them, now don't go telling folks what just happened. It wasn't because, it wasn't that he didn't want it to be known that there had been a healing, but he wanted to be very careful that they were glorifying God and not praising some man. He wanted to be very careful that they didn't get caught up in the reputation of Jesus and forget to understand that it is the Father in him doing the work. He will remove your reputation from you if you really want to do the work of the Lord. He will remove some of the people that you call friends in your life. He will remove some of the most loyal people you've known once you begin to really do the work of the Lord and serve the Lord. He looked at the disciples when he called them and he said, cast your nets aside. Turn them away. Drop them. Because you're not going to fish like you used to fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Are you ready to cast down your nets so that you can do the work of the Lord? Oh, I know you want to be chosen. But I'm asking you, are you really ready for God to choose you? Throw down your nets and push them aside. You're not going to use your nets anymore. Then he looked at them and said, instead of a net, you get a cross. Take up your cross. And I know... We love the cross, right? I mean, we cherish the old rugged cross where the dearest and best was slain. And, and we're going to take our trophies and lay them down one day at that old rugged cross. And we, we praise God for the cross. And we preach the cross. But when Jesus said, take up your cross, it wasn't that glorious symbol of Christian, of Christian sacrifice. It was a simple symbol of total death. Take up that cross. That's all it was. It was just death. It wasn't, it wasn't anything that we, we think of it as today because Jesus had not yet been nailed to it. Jesus had not yet been affixed to it. But once Jesus was affixed to the cross, the blood of that lamb changed that image forever, changed that symbol forever, and now we cherish the old rugged cross. Or do we? Do we cherish the cross he hung on? 
Or are we willing to take up our cross and follow him? Are we willing to pick up the cross of Jesus and say, Lord, I'm going to take this with me? If you're taking up your cross and following Jesus, don't be surprised when somebody walks up to you and nails you to it and puts stripes on your back and puts a spear in your side. Don't be surprised. If you're chosen, it's going to happen. People you never dreamed would say some awful things about you. They're going to say some awful things about you. If you're going to be chosen, you don't answer back. You don't fight back. You don't respond back, retaliate back. You simply let the flesh be crucified. The apostle Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. Now, we think of I die daily as, oh, I'm going to go to the prayer room and I'm going to cry every morning until... I feel better and I'm going to come out and I will have died. No, 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 no. Dying daily means your flesh is crucified. You know when Jesus' flesh was crucified? His flesh wasn't crucified when they wounded him. His flesh wasn't crucified when they bruised him. He was only wounded and bruised. His, his flesh wasn't crucified when they spat on him. He had only been spat on. His flesh wasn't crucified when they mocked him and ridiculed him. He was only mocked and ridiculed. His flesh had not been crucified, ladies and gentlemen, when they were mocking him, jeering him, nailing him, striping him, stabbing him. None of it. The crown of thorns, none of that crucified him. All of that worked together to bring about the moment where he would give up the ghost. And once he gave up the ghost, then it was finished. Then he was crucified. As long as you're holding on to your ghosts, You're not crucified. And if you're not crucified, you won't resurrect. You won't come back to life, and you won't resurrect in the first resurrection. Your flesh has to die. And this is why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. I've got to kill Peter the fisherman so that I can raise up Peter the apostle. I have to kill this Matthew tax collector so I can raise up Matthew who understands the gospel and can articulate it so that all the world can see the works of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be called and this is what it means to be chosen. Unfortunately, so many were called and few were chosen. This is not a reflection of the arbitrariness of God. This is not God picking and choosing who he will. No, he called many. His voice went out throughout the earth and said, Whosoever will, let him come. His voice went into the highways and into the byways and said, I compel you, I compel you, I compel you. Don't you know that's what brought you into the haven of rest? Don't you know that's what brought you into the ark of safety? You're not here because you decided to give God a try. You tried the rest, now try the best. You're not here because you just simply decided one day that you would try. You are here because by the grace and the mercy Of an omnipotent God. He called your name. He called your name. And he called down into the lowest pit you were in. He called into your doubt and confusion. And he pushed past every dark and sinister principality that had you bound. He called you. He called you. He called you. And so many responded to the call. But if they're not chosen, it's because somewhere they thought the call 
simply wasn't all it was made out to be. Oh, they participated for a little while until the going got a little too tough. Until the road got a little too narrow. Until the sickness came. Until the tragedy struck. Until the problems arose. Until the night got so far spent. And then they, they began to second guess the calling. And they fell short of being chosen. I wonder if there's somebody in this place tonight who considers it a high and a holy calling to be brought out of darkness into this marvelous light. Don't you know that when you serve the Lord, you must endure afflictions? When you serve the Lord, you must, for the good of the gospel, you must. For the sake of this world, being able to see a crucified Christ. Listen to what, I preached about the love of God this morning. Anybody, anybody hear that? I preached about the love of God this morning. Here's a scripture that I did not reference. But it said, hereby perceive we the love of God. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how the world perceives the love of God. They don't perceive the love of God when I talk about it. They don't perceive the love of God when I sing about it. They don't perceive the love of God through any other effort than when we lay down our lives. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. The anointing of God that rests upon me does not rest upon me because I'm up here with the Bible open and preaching stuff from it. It rests on me because I've laid my life down for the gospel. If you will lay your life down for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost will speak through you. The Holy Ghost will operate through you. The power of God will come through your words. The power of God will come through your actions. The power of God will touch those who are broken and those who are hurting and those who are lost and those who are confused. This isn't just like another piece of literature that you can just recite and expect people to understand. It is hidden from the wise of this world. This Bible has to be embraced from the heart. And when we lay our lives down, then our lives can be raised up. Glory to God. 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 If you're on a cross right now, go ahead and give up the ghost. In Jesus' name. If you're going through a fiery trial, stop resisting and, and, and lay down and say, God, have your way with me. I'm done struggling. I'm done scrambling. I'm done fighting. I need you to come and take a hold of me. Hallelujah. And lift me up to be what you want me to be. Not what others ascribe me to be, but what you have ordained me to be. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. I'm going to tell you, some of the most effective preachers who have ever preached the gospel of Jesus Christ never stood behind a pulpit. I'm talking about in 2016. Some of the most effective preachers, some of the best sermons ever preached at First Apostolic Church didn't come from me or from this pulpit, but they came from the work that God is doing in your life and the fact that you're letting Him do it. It's preaching the gospel. It's demonstrating to a lost world. You are showing forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light.
Brother David Myers just returned from Madagascar. And he said to me, he said, uh, do you know that there are 200,000 strong in Madagascar worshiping the Lord? They call it the New Ethiopia because 20 years ago, Brother Buller, you were there, Bishop Buller. Uh, there were a million people who would come to one crusade. And 100,000 people would receive the Holy Ghost in one night. The power of God, a literal, a rushing mighty wind would come up under that canopy that covered that, that they couldn't even all get under the canopy. There were a million people. A million people for crying out loud. A hundred thousand received the Holy Ghost in one night. That was in Ethiopia. They're calling Madagascar the new Ethiopia. 200,000 people gather together and lift up the name of the Lord. And there are about 100,000 plus who are receiving the Holy Ghost every single year in Madagascar. You know where it started? It started right here in Cincinnati. It started right here in Cincinnati. From First Apostolic Church. When, when, when Elder Brother Cox, working in a factory alongside of a man by the name of Richardson, decided to share with Mr. Richardson the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus saves. And Jesus loves you. And Jesus died on the cross. And Jesus rose from the dead. And there's power in the blood of Jesus. And the Holy Ghost, hallelujah, is for you and for your children. The promise is unto you. And Jesus is coming soon. And you know, he, he, was just, he wasn't a preacher. He was just sharing what the Lord had done for him. And Mr. Richardson was hearing what the Lord had done for Brother Cox. And he started to believe what he was hearing. He repented of his sins. He was baptized in Jesus' name. He was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He thought he was just having a conversation with a co-worker. But God was calling him, calling him, calling him. Not just into the truth, but to the work of God. And then he put Madagascar in Brother Richardson's heart. He said, I'm going to send you to Madagascar. Matter what? What's the matter with just right here? I gotta be Madagascar. He said, I'm sending you to Madagascar. And he goes to Madagascar, and it's just him, his wife, and his boys, and this nation that has never heard the apostolic truth of who Jesus is. And he starts preaching the word of God and digging deep into the soil of Madagascar. That's back in the 50s and 60s. Well, in 2016, our brother David Myers goes into that country and writes me and says, I just saw 200,000 200, people with their hands lifted up giving God the praise in Madagascar. Hey, I know, I know 2016 is a rough year. I know 2016 has a lot of problems. But you are a chosen generation. This trial you're going through right now is not the end of your story. This trial you're going through right now is merely a part of God refining you. So that he can make you into his image. And call you into his kingdom for his purpose. Hallelujah. You haven't read one verse of scripture that was penned by a person 
who had a life of ease. No scripture that has ever inspired you was penned by a person who wrote it out of convenience or ease. Every word in this book is ablaze with fiery trial. Every word that, that comes from this, this holy book, this sacred text, it's sacred and it's holy because those who wrote it wrote as the Holy Ghost moved on them in the midst of their fiery trial and the words that they etched into those parchments had power and life and eternal truth. Hallelujah. God wants to turn your Isle of Patmos into a whole book of revelation. God wants to turn your lonely lion's den, your terrifying lion's den, into an absolute testimony of God's great deliverance. I know you're scared and I know you're frightened. But come on, you're not just called, you're to be chosen. You're not just called, you're chosen. Come on, stick it out. Hang in there. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on to the profession of your faith. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't backslide. Don't throw in the towel. Stay in the fight. Hallelujah. You're a chosen generation. You're a chosen generation. You're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. There are souls that are hanging in the balance hallelujah I am the product of people who refused to give up and so are you somebody who wouldn't give up let me tell you how many remember who first told you about the gospel of Jesus Christ okay maybe, maybe you don't because maybe it was your parent or your grandparent or your great grandparent who first heard the gospel and all you know, if you're like me, five generations in, all you know is that you just woke up one day and, and you knew the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. But I want to tell you, somewhere along that path came a messenger who fought through hell to deliver that word to your parent, grandparent, great-grandparent, and they had every opportunity to turn around, and they had every opportunity to quit, and this thing is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This thing, ladies and gentlemen, is established upon the foundation of people who refuse to quit. Who refuse to quit. That's why, when, that's why when the Bible says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Who is he talking to? The gates that I've seen, I could never lift up their heads. So there's obviously something deeper here. Well, we understand the gates he's talking about. He's talking about the gates of that holy city. And John told us all about those gates of that holy city. He said, I saw those gates of the holy city. And upon those gates were inscribed the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. The gates of Israel. The gates of Jerusalem. The gates of the new Jerusalem. Swung open wide. Don't you know that's how we got in? It was because the gates opened up. Because Israel was a pathway into the covenant of God.
That's why God let Nebuchadnezzar see a fourth man in the fire. He wasn't taunting him. He was trying to reveal his master plan to him. That's why God brought plagues upon Egypt. He wasn't trying to mock Pharaoh. He was trying to save Pharaoh. He was letting Israel go through fiery trial after fiery trial after fiery trial after fiery trial so that all the world could see that after thousands of years, here they stand. So when he said, lift up your heads, O ye gates, he was talking to Israel. Lift up your heads. Lift up your heads. The king of glory shall come in. The king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty we need you to lift up your heads O ye gates because there are Gentile nations who are lost and undone and without hope in this world and if you get discouraged and if you get discouraged and if you turn your back and if you shut down hey listen God's work is still going to go on because God will reach out into the middle of he'll call and call and call and call and call until somebody hears his voice and responds to the call But he comes to us because we're gates. We open up. And if we'll open up, others can enter in. So lift up your heads, O ye gates. Hallelujah. Somebody whose head has begun to hang low, I command you in the name of Jesus, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors. In the name of Jesus, let him be the lifter of your head today. Somebody lift your hands right now. Come on, lift your hands right now. Those of you whose head has begun to hang low, lift up your heads. Come on, you better hang in this thing. You better fight through this thing. Come on, in Jesus' name, you better let the Lord fight your battle. Don't give up on God because God isn't giving up on you. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I rebuke every unclean spirit that's trying to vex your soul. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Satan, you have no authority. The power of God is upon his people. The power of God is upon his people. You are a chosen generation called out of darkness. Hallelujah. Set apart for his glory. Set apart for his purpose. What a high and a holy calling. 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 Out of respect to the call of God upon your life. And I know you might feel discouraged, you might feel defeated, you might feel unworthy, you might feel a lot of things. But he called you. He called you. Nobody made him do it. He called you. And out of respect to his calling, could you stand with me right now and lift praise unto the Lord in this house? Hallelujah. Could you lift praise unto the Lord right now? Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the brush of angels' wings. I can feel the very presence of our God in this place. He who hath called you, he who hath called you, he who hath called you, he who hath called you. He who hath called you, he hath called you, he who has called you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God, glory to the Lamb of God, glory to the Lamb of God, glory to the Lamb of God. I love what the Bible says about Elijah. Elijah called fire down from heaven. Elijah called rain down from heaven. Elijah shut up the heavens with his prayers for a period of time because of the work God was doing with Israel. Elijah, when the Bible looked for an example of an effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, there was no question. No question who that was. It was Elijah. This is who epitomizes and personifies the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. And listen to what the Bible says about Elijah. Most prophets in the word of the Lord, the statement is made of them that they are Joshua, the son of Nun. Zechariah, the son of Edo. Usually there's a lineage to reference. But with Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead. He's just one among many who was called. But he came through that calling and he never, he never disregarded it. He refused to let it just be one other thing in his life. This was the most important thing in his life. This above all things, I am called of God. I am called of God to show forth his praises. To show forth his praises. If nobody else respects it, that's their business. But he called me to show forth his praises. If nobody else appreciates it, whatever. He called me to show forth his praises. If I never stand behind a pulpit or on a platform, if I'm never identified as an elder or a deacon or a trustee or whatever, he called me to show forth his praises. Just, just, just one of the inhabitants. Just one of the many, 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 many inhabitants called down fire, shut up heaven and opened it back up again, raised the dead to life. And I believe there's an Elijah ministry in this building. Come on, on a quiet little Sunday night, September 18th, 2016. I believe there's an Elijah ministry in this building. I want somebody to come to the front of this house right now and say, Lord, I accept the responsibility of being in this chosen generation. I accept the responsibility of making it through my fiery trial. I accept your calling. I accept your calling. I accept your calling. I receive that I am chosen. I receive that I am chosen. Glory, hallelujah. Come on, if you're going to make it, you're chosen. The race isn't given to the swift, the battle. It's not given to the strong. Hallelujah. 
He that endures unto the end shall be saved. That's who's chosen. That's who's chosen. Withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, I surrender to all, to you, everything I give to you, withholding nothing, my God, my God, holding nothing, holding nothing, in the name of the Lord Jesus, anointing of God, continue to flow. 